Welcome to Off the Deck. I'm your host, Steve Carrera, and each episode I sit down with a member of the water polo community to speak with them about what helped make them successful in the world of water polo. In this episode, I sat down with Team USA head women's water polo coach, Adam Krikorian. If you enjoyed the episode, do me a favor, leave a five-star review or share it with your friends. And if you want to support the show, you can go to offthedeckpodcast.com and donate to the program. Thank you very much. All right. Um, I am here at Orange Lutheran High School on uh, Memorial Day. Uh, here, happy to have uh, Adam Krikorian uh, on the program, the head met a women's national team coach for Team <laughs> USA, uh, former UCLA coach and former UCLA player. Um, so we'll get into all of your backgrounds. But first, I just wanted to say thank you for being here, making the drive over here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my, my pleasure. You've done great things with this podcast and I look forward to listening to not mine but to, to, to <laughs> others that kind of come on yeah well you got to listen to yours too so um well I mean the first thing you know really it, it's so hard to like you know give all of the accolades that you have accumulated over the course of your career not just as a coach but also as a player and um you know we we go way back uh, just through a mutual friend, Randy Wright. Yeah, um, Randy. yeah. And so that's, that's how I got to know you. And so why don't you get, tell us, you know, how you got started in coaching, uh, yeah. first and foremost. Well, I think, um, I think what most coaches would probably say, if I had a guess is that you coach, or at least if people think about it, you coach a lot of times because you had influential coaches as a kid. Yeah. And, um, growing up, I, I didn't actually didn't start playing water polo until I was in, uh, in high school. Um, it's kind of rare, I guess, back then, but up in Northern California, that, that was, I guess, I think that was pretty common. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. High school. I was a swimmer, but now everyone's playing when yeah. they're eight, nine, 10. Yeah. Um, and I had, I had two young coaches. Uh, I had two coaches when I was young in other sports. Okay. Um, I had a, a baseball coach and a basketball coach who was my best friend's dad, who was just a, a phenomenal coach. Uh, and actually, I gave a I gave a talk the other day um, for a group of 150, 200 people, and I talked to them about this this young this coach when I was younger. And the thing that he taught me more than anything was like just the importance of fundamentals. Yeah. And what I said in this talk was that he made those first three letters stand out more more than anything. I mean, we had so much fun doing just the fundamental things. Yeah. Um, learning how to run, learning how to dribble without looking at the, the, the basketball. I can go on and on. Um, his name is Ken Pierce. And so he had a big impact to me. And then I, I, I was a swimmer as well, like most water polo players yeah. were. And I think as water polo players now, I think we all agree that we hate swimming. Um, <laughs> I think I... For some reason, I loved it, and I never really knew why I loved it yeah. uh, until I think you know once I got into college. And the reason why I loved it was because I loved swimming for my coach Kevin. I didn't love swimming; yeah. I hated waking up at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. But the way he made me feel, the way he pushed me, the lessons I learned, I think I just I, I fell in love with being coached by him, not yeah. necessarily the sport. So I, I was just highly impacted by coaches as, as a young as a, as a young kid. I never thought I'd coach, but then 
went to UCLA, had a career there, um, had uh, won a I, national championship. Won a national okay. championship. Can't we we should actually spend the whole podcast talking about that. <laughs> the 1995 team. Well, uh, yeah, I, I would, I would love to. Actually, the round table, <laughs> the round table. Yeah, you there's said nothing. It, you know what I'll say? You set it up, and we will do it. Let's I promise do it. you. Let's I do promise it. you. Because there, there's nothing better than winning as a player. Yeah. Uh, I've had some success as a coach, or my teams have, um, but there's nothing better than, than winning as a player. But. That's for another time. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I played my first four years. My fifth year, I was still in school. Guy Baker, who was my coach yeah. at, at UCLA, had asked me to be his undergraduate assistant coach as I was finishing up school. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And then after I graduated, I I was interested in two things. I was, um, I was interested in actually psychology, like child psychology. So my dad's a child psychologist okay. um, up, in, up in Northern California. And then I was also interest, interested in, in business and finance. So I was thinking about, oh, maybe I'll go back and get my MBA or um, hit Wall Street, do, do something where I can yeah. make some money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Guy asked me at the time, hey, <clears throat> what do you think about being an assistant coach like on a full-time, full-time basis? And you know, all my best buds were on the team, and obviously it was an incredible experience, and like okay, I'll let me let me try this. How much am I gonna get paid? And uh, I remember him telling me, "Well, I think it's like twenty twenty thousand dollars." And I'm like, twenty thousand dollars, and I'm supposed to live in yeah. L.A. Yeah. Uh, yeah. making twenty grand. Anyway, to that twenty grand a month. Yeah, was on Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I, I I decided to do it and I just fell in love with it. You know, we actually had probably the worst year in. UCLA men's history um, that year. I think it was 1997 and 1998, and I kind of fell in love. You know, I, I didn't want to leave actually after that because I was like, yeah. you know, I don't want to leave like this. This yeah. program's not in a good spot. Let's try to get it back. And what I did is actually I just fell in love with the process of going from pretty bad to trying to work with God to try to create something really, really positive. And then the rest is history. Yeah, yeah. So you guys. You went through both um, the men's program. Were you also with the women's program as an yeah. assistant coach at that time too? Because when did the women's program <laughs> yeah. start at UCLA? It was was it way before? Was um, it way before you? Uh, I think it was in 1995. Was the first season? Okay. There. Okay. And so, um, and then, when did Guy Baker leave? UCLA. Yeah. So he he accepted the job. If I remember my dates, if I get my dates right. He accepted the women's national team job um, uh, right after the 1998 season. Okay. Uh, women's season, so spring of of ninety. Actually, I'm sorry. Right in the beginning of 1999. Uh, so at, at that point, he for the next two years he still stayed at UCLA. Okay. And he and I became co-head coaches. Um, and you know he pretty much ran the show in regards to the men's team during the fall season. But then he was also coaching the women's national team. So he would leave periodically and just coach the, the women's national team. Okay. And that's actually when I became just the head coach of the, the women's team. So he didn't coach the women's seasons in 1999 and 2000. They were traveling. And yeah, yeah. I don't know if that was part of his contract, too, that he couldn't. Yeah, I can't remember that. Um, but we were together for a couple of years there. I obviously learned a ton from, from him. And then he 
uh, he moved on after after yeah. that to to take that job full time. Yeah, and so um, during UCLA, and I, I hate to put, I know dates are really you know one thing mends into a molds into another sometimes, but <laughs> yeah. Um, so as the head coach of the men, mm-hmm. you were basically from two thousand up until you took the women's job, mm-hmm. right? Um, what was that experience like coaching the men? What was the success like? Mm-hmm. You know, specifically, I, I can't remember specifically national championships and things like that. But um, what was that? Um, you know, that experience because most people now yeah. look at you as the women's coach. You know, but, yeah. but I mean, I, people yeah. probably don't. Some people don't know you were coaching men for a, a long yeah. time as well. Yeah, you know? ten, so, ten years, ten yeah. years. Yeah. Um, so Guy and I were were co-head coaches in, in '99 and, and 2000. Um, in both those years, we we won a national championship. Um, in, in those years, and those years were, I mean, we had an incredible team back then. I mean, Adam Adam Wright was on that team. Yeah. Andy Bailey, Dave Parker, Sean Kern, uh, Brandon Brooks came in as a as a freshman in, in 2000. Brian Brown. Um, I'm missing guys, but yeah. th- th- we were low. Blake Wellen. I mean, we were loaded those two years and then he left and we, we I think you know recruiting wasn't necessarily the best at that point um, uh, so my first year by myself was 2001 we actually made it to the final uh, and got beat by by Tony's team I think Tony was a freshman maybe yeah. uh, I think that was yeah because I think he won his first two years and then lost the three and four yeah I yeah think so and um, so Albert Garcia so that's freshman. when our we had a we had a great freshman class. Yeah. Um, so I was really happy with like kind of my first recruiting class, which was I think Albert and uh, Brett Ormsby, Ted Peck, Peter Belden, yeah, um, Josh Huco, these guys who were who were freshmen came in in two thousand one and were playing as true freshmen right away. Yeah. Um, and they did a great job. I mean, we made it to the final. We kind of got our butt kicked by Stanford in the final and. And then we were close the next couple of years, and um, we finally got over the hump in 2004, uh, and you know beat a, a talented Stanford team with Tony. I think in his senior, that was her, yeah. his senior season yeah. as well at as Avery. At Avery, yeah, I I would argue one of the greatest games ever to be played. I mean, it was just kind of back and forth, went into overtime, and yeah. And just not to interrupt, but just one yeah. side note for the people listening, you know. The UCLA team and the Stanford team were loaded with ex high school teammates, so you're mm-hmm. talking about like because those were the Wilson, Long Beach Wilson heyday, you know. And yeah, so you and had Albert a, and Tony for, for you, sure. Yeah, <laughs> and you had a lot of teammates that were kind of battling against each other. So yeah. there must have it must have been very emotional. Very yeah, emotional it game. was. I think it's a small community too. Yeah, everyone yeah. knows everyone, yeah. um, and that was Joe Axelrad was our goalkeeper and played out of his mind. Uh, Brett me. Brett Ornsby was, he was actually many people don't many people forget this, but Brett was Player of the Year yeah. that year. Yeah. Tony didn't win Player of the Year, yeah. so Tony won the Catino Award, but he did not win Player of the Year. Yeah, when Brett, I spoke to Brett, I remember asking him about how he was sort of under the radar as a recruit, yeah. kind of yeah. you know, and and he he elaborated a little bit on it. And he was a phenomenal player. Oh, such a stud! I mean. Yeah. He had a lot of things to say about you in terms of leadership. You know, he had a lot of nice things to say about lessons he learned from you. Um, you know, the people listening should go back and listen to it because I think it was, it was really, he was really inspired by you. I mean, and, and yeah. he really looks up to you, and, and you could really tell it was it was really cool. To talk well, to I you. I think uh, same goes for me to be honest, and I think you know this. Like when when you 
as a coach, when you have someone special like that, who's not just an incredible player, but a, a great leader, works hard, is committed, and I think they inspire us. And I don't even think they realize it. You know, they inspire us just as much as we we inspire yeah, them. Yeah. And Brett was inspiring to coach, and now he's gone on to obviously be a great great coach and have a successful career himself. Yeah. So that was 2004. Then I ended up coaching the team for another, um, I think another four years, five, six, seven, eight. And we had come close, but honestly, you know, I think if I have one regret in coaching, it's just, you know, how I did with the guys during that, during that time, mm. um, made some mistakes in recruiting and, or didn't do a good job in, in recruiting. And I think, it's a tough thing about college, you know. If you make a couple mistakes, yeah. recruiting wise, um, or you get a bad apple here and there, it, it can really cost. It can really cost you and, yeah. and set you back, and you ultimately kind of have to live with it for the next two or three years. And I even think back and just how clueless I was coaching wise. I mean, I was okay, but yeah. I've become such a better coach. Yeah. Um, and I just wish we had a little bit more success there. Um, and I think it's hard to come when you compare it to the, the time that I was coaching the women at the same time. It's yeah, yeah. It's impossible to do something like we, we did on that side. Yeah, but. yeah. I mean, that sort of some something similar was happening on the men's side with USC. I think it was a little bit later. They had won, you know, five in a row or whatever, and you won five in a row with the women. Yeah. Um, yeah. And not jumping around or bouncing yeah. around, but I'd love to talk. You know, I'd love to ask you. You know. You know, one of the questions I and I'm I'm definitely jumping around. One of the questions I sent to you was, "How do you keep that mentality going of winning?" Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to keep them focused. Yep. You know, I mean, and, and I'm telling you this out of experience because we should have we should have gone back to back here at Orange Lutheran. And we didn't. It was it was devastating. You know, when yeah. you know you have a yeah. good team and you don't and you don't pull it off. Yeah. Um, but there was something missing. You know, it was like there was something missing. It could have been me, it could just the mentality, something. Um, how do you keep them focused, you know, on, on the prize? Well, it's my biggest I mean, it's my biggest fear with the team now that I'm co- coaching, yeah. right? We've had a lot of success and the biggest fear and my the most dreaded word is complacency. And yeah. it's so easy to slip into this feeling of complacency without even knowing it, you know, especially when you're around people who've all experienced the same thing and i that's the nice thing about bringing new people in Mm -hmm. because they bring a new energy you know people who haven't necessarily done it before you know for instance like on my team right now we get people like uh like jamie newshall and she's had success but um not olympic level you know Paige hostchild you know amanda longan i mean they haven't done it so you bring those people in to kind of keep the the edge yeah 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 Um, because they're hungry they're hungry really hungry yeah Yeah. you know and they remind us that have done it like that they haven't i'll never forget kylie neuschel we won in 2012 and and kylie pretty much all of last quad (laughs) would always occasionally just remind me and grab me and and remind me hey I haven't won it, you know, mm-hmm. like we need to keep pushing forward. And sometimes as a coach, you need the players to help yeah. to remind you. Uh, but I think one of the things is just, and I've gotten much better at this as time goes on. It's, it, it, this may sound a little contrary, but the more you emphasize winning, um, I think the harder it is to 
to be consistent with your success. Mm. Because if you're just thinking win, I gotta win, we gotta win, we gotta win, you finally get there. It's a great feeling when you win. It's kind of this relieved feeling and you feel like you've accomplished everything. And then I think it's in a, it's a natural letdown. Instead of having the approach of, this is where I am as a coach now, and partly because we've had success, so I'm kind of, I think I'm allowed to, to be like this, yeah. is just, you focus more on the process. You focus more on just I, just coaching the best, um, getting your team to play the best that they possibly can. And you're focusing more in on the relationships. And when you start doing that, you don't have these big swings in emotion. Mm. Um, and you're focusing on, obviously on the, on the right things. And I think it's allowed for us to, to have a steady amount of success. I've always personally been pretty short-term memory guy. Um, and I'm very, very thankful that I coach a bunch of insanely competitive women, yeah. no matter how much success they have. It's amazing how much they're willing to grind to, to get back on the top and yeah. feel like they can keep improving and that's inspiring for me as well. Absolutely. I mean, and I think that kind of goes back to your comment of keeping it fresh, you know, because yeah. that, that keeps the edge going. You bring in a high school player to work out with a national team. She's going all out 24 seven. You can't taper that down. There's nothing you no. can do to hold that back. It's like no. basically uh, unmanaged energy, which is great. So, um, so, you know, um, Going into one of these questions here, uh, something's someone who's in your position, you get to see a lot of different <clears throat> angles now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what do you think about water polo as you know here in the U.S.? How do you think it's doing? Um, you know, I, Dayon, I had him here uh, a week or so ago, and he had spoken about the calendar being an issue, something that he was a little bit concerned with on his side, on the yeah. men's side. Um, is there anything, what do you think? I mean, how, what's the state of water polo for you? Um, I, I think we're, I think we're in a, I think we're in a decent position. Yeah. Um, it can be better. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of have a tendency to look at it always from a pessimistic standpoint. I think I'm that way in, in general. Um, you know, I have some concerns a little bit about our, the, the health of our sport on the Olympic level. Hmm. Long term, okay. You know, I, I think we we see these these other sports uh, come in and uh, in the, on the Olympic side, they're adding uh, adding back baseball and surfing. surfing. Kaylee Gilchrist will give me crap, but um, <laughs> somehow that's a sport. Yeah. Uh, I think anyone could be good at surfing. Oh, uh, she's <laughs> just kidding. She's uh, like throwing her phone through the wall right now. Um, but. But I think, and you even seen it even sadly with like esports, right? Like, yeah. I, you know what the IOC is looking at, and what I think a lot of people are looking at for our attractive sports for for the for the youth. And I think we got to be careful, and we got to keep pushing this sport forward. So I'm a little concerned there. Yeah. Um, well, esports is now CIF sanctioned. Is that right? Believe it or not. Holy cow. Oh, yeah. It's CIF sanctioned, run by CIF, NFHS is involved. Oh, yeah. No, it's 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 big. It's really big. So that is... Um, what do we do? That would be a concern of every every yeah. person in, in a sport, you know, any sport. So Yeah. Um, the, you know, the calendar, I know Dan's always talked about that, and I think he's got great points on that, to be honest. Mm -hmm. 
for for us, it, it isn't as big of an issue. I think you know we're on the women's side. Quite frankly, we're we're fortunate. The calendar is what it is. You know, it, yeah. it's great for me and for our team that the women's season collegiately is January through May, and then they roll right into. They don't really have any summer. Typically, don't have very at least high commitment levels with their colleges mm-hmm. in the summer. So it allows us easily take them. Um, and whereas the men, it's just the opposite, right? Like yeah. the men's, I remember coaching at UCLA. It was like, you know, the summer was an important time to, you were, you were really close to obviously the fall and the season. And yeah. so that became really difficult. And I, so I know Dan's got great points there regarding the calendar. And the thing just in general regarding the calendar is like, we're so last minute with everything Jeez. in our sport Tell and it drives that. me nuts. Tell like, me how can we promote promote games and and tournaments and have people plan to go places when we're making decisions you know even internationally we're talking international competition like we'll be two months out of an event and we still don't have a yeah a, a venue selected yeah. or a host selected it's just it's the sport it's it is something sport. about our sport that is just it's impossible to be super super organized and super yeah. you know like looking ahead at the calendar. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. That seems, I think we've gotten better here. USA water polo has gotten better about, you know, spreading some things out yeah. and, you know, yeah. making sure that we're as fans attending everything we can that is on the national level. I mean, we don't get a huge opportunity to watch the women's team play or the men's team play. I think we could do a better job of that, you know, like once a month, you know, come and open scrimmage or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, with the calendar issue, you know, that kind of, it, you're right, it, it doesn't affect you, the women's team, as much. But one thing that, that Abdu had said mm-hmm. is he feels like the women's college league, if you call it, is one of the toughest leagues in the world, um, which helps with the development of players, you know, on a really, you know, day-to-day game to game basis. Do you do you agree with that? Do you feel like it's a really tough Um people 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 use that pretty loosely in my mind. Okay. You know, I it's definitely an advantage. Okay. We um and it's it's a nice thing for for our athletes to be able to play in that and it's a pretty high level. Although it depends on the athletes in it. Um I'd argue in the last honestly and I I've been traveling Europe in the last couple years to watching the European leagues. Mm. And I I think the European leagues are people aren't going to like what I say here, but I think the European leagues are a step ahead of us right now okay. um, in our collegiate. So the best European teams, mm-hmm. I think, if they were to come over and they were to play, for instance, our best college teams, I think that they have a leg up on okay. us. And I I don't think that was the case maybe before. Um, I'm a little nervous of kind of where we're we're trending a little bit, but um, there's no doubt that it's that it's still, you know, the NC2A is is still a great yeah, great great level, but there's a significant drop off too. Yeah. Man, yeah. that's the reality. I don't like it. I wish there was 10 teams fighting to all be you know, the, the championship and this is nothing against those teams or the best teams, um, but we we see the same teams all all the time, yeah, yeah. right? I mean, everybody said that. Yeah. Honestly, it's kind of like the obvious thing, you know? Right. I mean, like it's it's going to be very very difficult for I'm shouting out Ted here or Felix you know Brown or Harvard yeah, yeah. to win yeah. 
the national championship because they don't get the level of the depth of players. They have a couple great players on their rosters, but they don't have ten great players on their roster, and that's yeah. really the difference, right? It's I think it's been a challenge for them. My guess is just to get a California kid, um, and that's not to discredit what's going on outside of the state of California, but you know I, I think it's obvious that a lot of the a lot of really talented players, the most talented in general. There's always going to be talented players elsewhere, but the the highest density of yeah. best players is from California. Yeah. And yeah. convincing those kids to go elsewhere is, is a tough task for them. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, and part of that is the stranglehold that swimming, club swimming has on the pools in other parts of the country. That's And so that that's a that's just like a rea- realistic reality check for us. You know, if, if, if Michigan was gung-ho water polo, they would be phenomenal. If Texas was gung-ho water polo, they would be. These are great swimming states, been great swimming states for yeah. 50 years, you know, so... Um, it's, it's not, a lot of it has to do with that too, unfortunately. Well, and, and beyond that, I think you bring up a great point and that just people forget, and this is why it's really tough for our sport to grow is, is facilities. There aren't a ton of pools. There's a ton of liability that comes with pools. Pools aren't just open for you to jump in no matter when and play an easy game of pickup basketball like we do everywhere. Right. And that, that's. You know, especially when you're talking about the East Coast when it's cold. Yeah. You're talking about in, it's got to be an indoor pool. There's probably more costs associated with that. I mean, it's, it's a big hurdle for us to try to try to overcome. You need a key. You can't you hop the fence. You can't. <laughs> well, you could. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. Um, okay. So, I mean, overall, pretty, pretty positive. But yeah. there's one thing that you said that, and I don't know if you're allowed to go into depth about this, but. You know, you you say trending towards what you know, like yeah. the you know the water pole is trending towards a certain way. What could you elaborate on that? Well, when I was talking about trending, I was I was just, I think the rest of the world's catching up with us. Okay, it was so, catching up with us on 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 the women's side. Yeah, yeah. Um, you think? Do you think with the level of um, with the pipeline that you've created here yeah. on the women's side, do you think that we could have a four team? Super League here, like for let's say the summer for the women or the fall for the women, do you think there's enough talent to be able to do something like that? Well, um, forget money aside, like because obviously that's always the big concern. But yeah, I th- I think I think we we could, but we always have the you know when they're in when it's in the fall they're with their college teams. Mm-hmm. It's, it's tough. People have made the comment to me like, why don't you have a national league? Um, and my take is, or they get mad at Abdu because they don't, you know, we don't have a national league for for the women. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's don't get mad at Abdu. That's kind of my my choice more yeah. than more than anything. Okay. And I think um, the one thing that's a little bit more difficult for us on the women's side compared to the men is that their off season is in the fall, and every school starts. Every school has a different calendar, yeah. right? Like so, the semester schools start in August. Well, the quarter schools don't start till the end of September. A lot of times their first practice isn't until October. Mm. And then they have finals in December. So you're talking about a really small window of October and November to do something. And I personally have always been more in favor of just give me the best 20 kids mm-hmm. and we'll have some weekend training camps. Um, I'd much rather do that than have this bigger league and this – tiny little window six week window where yeah. we have these games and plus there's um, a, there's the injury factor too i mean you got to probably consider some of that the more you play 
the more possibility something bad happens to someone who's really, really valuable. Sure. You know what I mean? And, sure. you know, when you got someone who's trying to prove something all the time against someone who has proven it, some sometimes things happen. Yeah. You go to yeah. any master's men's game oh, <laughs> and you'll, you'll see <laughs> what I'm talking about, you know? So, um, so, uh, you know, coaching both college and coaching now the national team, um, you know, you talked about recruiting a little bit mm -hmm. uh, and, and how difficult it is to recruit and how important it is as well, uh, which it, to me seems like 75% of the gig really mm -hmm. in, in college. Um, what what are the like things that stand out that are differences between coaching college, coaching national team for you? Well, that's one thing I don't have to do anymore yeah. uh, that I am, gosh, I am so thankful for. Yeah. Uh, and it, you, I guess I shouldn't say that. I think there's always an element of recruiting. I still need to get people excited to play. And believe it or not, everyone doesn't want to play for the national team. Yeah. Uh, but there's no, you know, it's not, it's not a, on Friday nights at, at 8.30 at night, I'm not in, you know, lock myself in a, in a room talking to a 17-year-old um, kid. Yeah, you know, yeah. Which... Talk about work-life balance is great. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think my wife appreciates that the recruiting process is is, sure. is over, so I do not miss that. Um, I always say this, you know, I think it's it's much easier to form a cohesive um, team with in in college, um, and and to have the the energy and the enthusiasm that comes with it because you're on campus. Um, kids are going through the best time of their life, 18 to 22 years old. It's not just water polo. Yeah. I mean, they're obviously going to school. Uh, let's be honest, they're partying as yeah. well, and there's a social aspect yeah. to that. Everyone's wearing, you know, when I was at UCLA, everyone's wearing UCLA stuff. Yeah, There's an energy on campuses that is unlike any place. And it's easy for to kind of use all those things to just, I think, you know, form this 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 team this cohesive team with tons of energy when you're at when you're representing the u.s that's a really tough thing to grasp and it's sad i kind of say this on memorial day you know but it's you know we we come to practice there aren't people aren't wearing usa stuff everywhere yeah. sure you see american flags and they're not necessarily you know going to class together doing these social things together or going it's, through really hard times together yeah i, I don't have enough money to eat you know, I mean, just little things like that make a big difference. Yeah, so I, I think that that's a little bit a little bit more difficult. Now, the nice thing is, is just every single person I have on on the team is committed mm -hmm. to, and and I'm just speaking from my own experience, is committed and competitive and wants to wants to be there and yeah. wants to to be the best that they possibly can. And that is something that's just so awesome to work with the best athletes, but then the the drive and competitiveness that they have. I think in college, you know, you'd like to think that most of them are, but you're always going to get some that, that aren't, yeah. right? Or they have other things going on that they're more interested in, and I just, you just don't have to, to deal with that. And I think one of the toughest transitions for me, honestly, in some ways, was just the, also just the support that you get. And nothing against USA Water Polo, but, you know, when I'm at, at UCLA, we're staying in nice hotels. Um I'm getting decked out in any type of gear that, that I want. Yeah. I can it's something as simple as I can walk down the steps and get a a pen or a pad of paper 
Um, you got people waiting on yeah. you, doing whatever you want. Yeah. When you come to the national team, it's kind of on your own. Yeah. And we're trying to make some improvements to make it a little bit more uh, professional, but it's not as glorious as people think it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you look at the low-style training base, you know, there's some things that you obviously would love to change, I'm sure, on a, yes. you know, just like <laughs> from Absolutely. the aesthetic, you know, to everything else. Absolutely. But the other side of it, uh, when you're at UCLA, I, I I think I read this somewhere, you know, you had mentioned in some article or something that you could just go down the hall and talk to the volleyball coach who had yeah. won yeah. however many national championships yeah. or like you had all this mentorship that was just surrounding you. You don't really I, have that. No, you, you don't. Um, and, the, and the USOC has done a good job in trying to provide and get um, other national team coaches together. And I have spent some times with um, John Spraw, who coaches the men's volleyball team, who I've known before, um, Karch Karai, who coaches the, the women's national team. and But on a daily basis, I can't tell you, I was so uh, I was so lucky to be at UCLA in the athletic department. I had people like, the guy next to me, my office next to me was Al Skates, who had arguably the best volleyball coach of all time, won 20 national championships. I could walk down the hall and go see Sue Enquist, um, who was a softball coach at UCLA, one of the best ever in her sport. Or go see Val Valerie Condos Field, um, who coaches gymnastics, who's mm-hmm. now like, kind of hit it big and is, is just so yeah. well known. Yeah. Um, Jillian Ellis, who everyone will see coach the women's national team in soccer. Yeah. Um, and then we all had access to John Wooden, mm. which... You know, it's like I, I just totally took it for granted. I mean, I'd go over to his place, and he'd call me on the phone. And wow. I, it's just it was inspiring to be around all those people, but you could learn from them literally daily. Yeah. And it's, you don't get that. You kind of have to search for that inspiration at times, being the national team coach. Yeah. And do you think you've taken that approach um, into USA Water Polo? Because, I mean, I feel like you're – accessible i feel like you you're you're very personable you know to that that's what i see is like Mm -hmm. you're always smiling shaking people's hands talking to people um and i see you at other events and i've mentioned this before you know i mentioned it before i started recording you know just i see you at high school games i see you i saw you at on deck at jo's i think your son was playing a 12 and under or something like that right um you know and obviously you're there to watch your kid but at the same time people are still coming up to you people are still shaking your hand like um, are you taking, do you, do you think that's something that you learned from that experience and, and even before that, that you feel like this obligation to just sort of like, Hey, uh, come yeah. and talk to me. It's all good. Uh, cer- certainly. Um, I got you fooled maybe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, it's like, I'm actually a really mean guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think a lot of that just comes from my upbringing, honestly. Yeah. And my, my parents kind of instilled that in us as, as kids, as young as just, you know, be, um, inclusive and um, the value of relationships is something that's yeah everyone's a little different for me I love relationships this yeah. is why I do it you know yeah. I, I love getting to know the people um, not just people on my team and my staff but in our community um, hearing from parents and other coaches and uh, a lot of times people want to put me on a pedestal like above everyone else and I I, I just I can't stand that um, I, I'm just like everyone else and 
you know, part of it, I feel it's my responsibility too. you yeah. know, as a, as a leader of the, the national team, I'm not just leading the team. I'm, I, I feel a heavy burden to lead this country, um, um, this, the water polo community in, in any way that I can. And yeah. so that's part of where it comes from as well. Yeah. Well, we do. I, I mean, I definitely see that for sure. So, um, I'm going to, transition a little bit to some specific player stuff just because I wanted to mm-hmm. you know a lot of coaches listen and you know I've gotten a lot of emails about you know like I've learned so much and one of the questions I've asked coaches is like what are some of the things that you've seen in successful players that just it's like they've got this and you see it in almost every player yeah, that one or two things well the first thing I'll say is that if you're going to be a great player um, just like great team it doesn't take one thing it takes a ton of things yeah uh, but you know the great ones I think quite simply you know without thinking about it too much obviously they have an incredible work ethic especially in our sport yeah. <laughs> you, you can't be successful without a great work ethic in our in our sport um, there's a, a willingness to learn you know being coachable or uh, I think is hugely important when I think some of the young players and how they've grown within our system uh, people will give me credit or give the other players credit and the older players on our team but in all reality it's they deserve the most credit because they listen to feedback and they want to get better Mm. Um, there's always those kids that we coach that you know you coach them and they don't necessarily want to be coached in my mind right they they say they may nod their head yes um, but aren't listening or maybe they're not even giving you any yeah. Um, their face is saying I hate you yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it, just, it doesn't matter what, what you say um, and then I, I I think how you're you're able to handle adversity you know the, the best players are the ones that um, I would say play in the moment more than more than anyone else yeah you know I always say this about like players like Maggie Steffens you know Maggie Maggie still can get a lot better, okay? And I wouldn't say she's always the most skilled Mm -hmm. player, but what people don't realize that makes her one of the best players in the world uh, for this over this period of time is that she's literally always thinking about the next play. She's never letting anything happen affect her mentality, Mm -hmm. um, her approach to the game. It's always next play, next play, next play. And I think the best ones are all like that, you know, and that I started it by saying just dealing with adversity. The yeah. best ones are are still able to be tough in the most adverse times. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I, when I see Maggie Steffens um, playing, I, I've gotten to know I she's done something here actually at Orange Lutheran. She's tapped in and talked to us about like weightlifting and training and mm. mentality um, and uh she just seems like a killer to me. I mean, she just seems like someone who's She's, just, uh, you know, like, give me the ball, get out of my way. Yeah. I'm going to do this. That That's what I see through her play, yeah. you know? So I haven't had a chance to have a conversation. A we got a lot of killers yeah. on our team. Yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> I think every single one of them is a killer. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, right now we have the system, USA Water Polo, where they're, kids are coming up through the development team and all the ODP yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And I saw that you were on the deck this past weekend, I think, do, mm-hmm. um, doing some ODP stuff. And um, 
Have there been any players that have come outside of that ODP system that you've seen that, or or will there, do you think, ever be a player that comes through that maybe just didn't do ODP? Is that something that... Um, oh God, that's a great that's a great question. Um, we've had players come in and out of it yeah. um, that have gone on to make it. I think like Ashley Johnson is a good example of someone outside the state who was, I think, in ODP and then out of ODP and... Um, Paige Hoschild, I was actually having a conversation with Paige the other day. Paige uh, didn't do it up until, I think, maybe her junior year. Oh, okay. Um, so she started it kind of late. Yeah. Didn't, really didn't know what was going on. Um, so there have been players that have kind of come in and out. I, yeah. I think uh, I think there's a, you know, obviously for us, and we believe the Olympic Development Program is, is a positive thing and that, you know, you're, you're – hopefully learning skills that are similar to what what was coming from the top, which yeah. is for me. It also, um, you're being coached by hopefully good coaches. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the biggest things is just like the relationships um, and then competing against the best at, at those opportunities and getting these opportunities to go travel abroad. Um, with, with that being said, uh, I think there is a miss conception out there a bit that you have to be in ODP to be on a national team. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, yes, you actually do once when you're in high school. But when you like, if you want to make the senior team, um, whether you did ODP or not, I yeah. can care less. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I want I want the best. I want the best players. Yeah. And um, that is in, in no way. I'm not saying that in in. To, to bash on ODP because I think it's a it's a great system and I think it's developed a lot of good good players but um, just because you didn't do it if you're in college um, and you prove that you can be one of the best players then yeah that, and so be it but I think in 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 all reality it's like if you're not exposing yourself to good coaching in general and you're not playing against very good players it's going to be tough to to maximize your your potential of course. And how much do you lean on your colleagues, like in in college, those college coaches? Like, are there conversations where someone's calling you up and going, "Hey, like, I, I got this person that's just killing it right now. You got to take a look." Do you have those conversations? I, yeah, I absolutely do. Um, and I rely. I mean, they they know their players better than I at yeah. times because they're spending all all season with them, and I and I respect that. At the same time, one of my goals as a coach and as the the head coach of the the senior team is to not be in that situation a ton because I want to know about and this maybe goes back to what you're saying about me being around yeah I want to know these kids before they get there and I want to I want to see them develop so if I'm just catching them in college or maybe the last two years in college then I don't know them as players I don't know the the line of of development, or the curve that they're on, and I think that's really important for us as coach, as the senior team coach. I need to know this player came from here, and now they're here, so they're progressing upwards. Or, hey, they were really good, and they are the same player they were, yeah. you know, five years ago in high school. So yeah. I, I feel like it's my responsibility to get to know them, and that's one thing that I don't enjoy about not going through the recruiting process anymore. That makes it a little bit more challenging. Is the great thing about recruiting is that you build relationships with these people. Yeah. 
before they get to college. And so once they're there, it's, you know, you just move, move forward pretty easily. Um, so I try to do that as much as I can to, especially the ones who I feel like have potential to be on the senior team. It starts, you know, like Maddie Musselman, the Fishers. It starts when they're 14, 15. And I knew Eric and Leslie before anyway, but, um, it starts to get to know them then, build that relationship and with the parents. And so then when they come on the senior team, it's a little bit easier, more of a seamless transition. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, and we talked about it before we started, was the first high school game I saw you at was Maddie Musselman's junior year right. um, at CDM High School. And I remember you were, you didn't, you didn't say specifically, hey, I'm here to watch. You know, you're just here to watch a good game. Um, and, you know, I think that was always really impressive for me because you don't live in Newport. <laughs> you don't live in CDM. So it was a commute, you know, on a Wednesday night. Um, and I think what you're saying is really important to be able to build a person, like to understand their personality and to see if they're even going to be able to handle the, what they're going to go through. And so now you've been training Maddie Musselman off and on for the last like five years probably, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. you actually know her, her personality, which makes it easier probably to connect and, and really motivate, right? Yeah, and that's I mean, that's one of the, you know, coaching, everyone thinks coaching is X and O, X and O, that's probably 20% of the, the yeah. job, you know, yeah. maybe less. Yeah, It's so much of it's about building that relationship and knowing what, what makes them tick and, Getting them, um, and trying to inspire them, and yeah, like a Maddie, I've known for six years now. Yeah, uh, I never forget the first time I, I I I met her. You know, so that stuff's yeah, incredibly incredibly important for for our success. And that's the other thing too, from an ODP standpoint, that's been really nice is that a lot of these women who play on our team, they knew each other. Yeah, before they started the senior team. So their relationships go back to when they were 12 or 13 playing on the development yeah. national team, yeah. you know? And it, and that makes, again, for, for in terms of building this team and this cohesive group, that makes it a little bit easier for yeah. me as well. So the women's national team um, had not won a gold until you became the head coach. Is yeah. that correct? Um, so they got bronze in 2000 i think silver 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 bronze silver i think yeah so um you know obviously there was something missing you know there was some you know sometimes it's luck (laughs) sometimes it's a lot of little little things but um what was it like uh so what was it like that first gold medal um you know well well before i get to that actually i have something that just popped into my head we talk about the uh-huh. successes. Yeah. yeah. No, we talk about all the successes, but yeah. let's talk about one mistake that, you know, and it was the, the, I think it was the Pan Am games, something with Betsy Armstrong. And I remember she was in the cage and it was a timeout or something like that. Yeah. You're being, you're being gentle. You're being nice. No, that's, you have it wrong. No, is that, is that right? It was the Olympic games. It was, oh, it was uh, the Olympic games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, make it, it worse. Yes, yeah, so it, it was the Olympic Games. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, it's like you did this on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, you know, 
what what happened? Like what what was it? What was the scenario? Let us tell us what happened, and then you know, I mean, obviously that is the ultimate like team got your back type <clears throat> moment, yeah. right? Um, and we all make mistakes. We all screw up. Yes, um, I mean, I could I could tell a, an hour story on this whole thing, but I'll, I'll make it brief. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I called the timeout in the semifinals against Australia. Um, we had the game one. We're up by one. I called the timeout. There was an illegal timeout and gave them a penalty shot. And they shoot and score and send the game into overtime. And, you know, in front of millions of people, uh, those thoughts are actually going through my mind. Like, yeah. hey, you idiot. Um, idiot is a nice word, I think I said. <laughs> I think I said some other words to yeah. myself. Yeah. And it basically cost this team a chance to, to win, win a gold medal. And yeah. In front of millions of people are watching back at, back at home. And definitely the worst worst mistake uh, I've ever made in coaching. Hopefully, I, I won't. It's gonna be tough to top that one. And the team, like you said, the team had my back. And man, I'll forever be indebted for for them. And I, and I think I always say it was the worst mistake in my career, but also the best moment in in my career hmm. because generally speaking. My goal as a coach is, I think it's always important to, and I, team, my team hears me say this all the time, it's important to begin with the end in mind. So thinking about kind of what you want the end to look like as a coach. And I'm a big believer in, and this is even comes back from spending some time with Coach Wooden, is that when you get to the end, uh, there's a lot of things that are going to happen. There's pressure increases. Yeah. There's always adversity. Um but ultimately, it's going to be the players um, that have to be ready to perform. And if you've done your job, then you don't even need to be there, and they're going to have success because yeah. they know what to do. They've built this team, this chemistry. They've, they feel empowered to be able to even make decisions on, on their own. And that's why I say it was, it was my, the best moment of my, my coaching career because – I was nowhere to be found. I made the worst mistake that anyone could possibly imagine. Yet, and it would have been very easy for the team to point fingers towards me yeah. or maybe even possibly at each other, but they didn't do that. Uh, they looked inward at themselves and took the thing over. And um, it just showed it just showed the, the strength and the bond that we had created as, as a group. And, you know, I'd like to think that I had a part in that, um, one part of, of many, many different parts. And that was uh, it, pretty neat when your worst experience and worst move becomes your best yeah. uh, coaching moment of, yeah. of your life. Yeah. And did that, was that the game that went into a penalty shootout afterwards or did you it guys? It didn't. Win? You're thinking about a, a different time. Okay. Which, okay. I, I'm mending the two. Yeah. The, two the Pan American games. Okay. Uh, okay. We beat Canada. It went yeah. into the longest shootout yeah. in the history. Of, okay, that's what it was. I don't think I made any mistakes. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I mean, I made probably plenty yeah. of mistakes, but it wasn't as... Okay. as <laughs> but I mean, that, you know, look, we, we've I've made that mistake. Yeah. You know, um, I saw, you know, a national championship game on the women's side. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. mistake, the mistake was yeah. made. So this is not something that is, like, unheard of. Um, but I think, like you were saying earlier about getting over adversity or, or the people who perform best through tough times. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm going to give you a compliment here. You know, that is reflected 
to that that is mirrored by your team, really by the leader. So you were the one who really had to continue coaching through that adversity at that particular moment. So you yeah. you kind of you know had that yeah. mentality, and so you get to the gold medal game. Um, what are you thinking? What is just what's something that you just um, are thinking about going into that walking in onto that pool deck? Is there anything that you just remember? Um, I I just remember being uh, at peace more more at peace before that game than any other game, really? and I, and I think in large part maybe because of what we had went through mm. in the semifinal. Um, I knew literally as soon as we end up winning that game, I knew that there was no chance we were losing the final. I mean, and I'm rarely like that. Yeah. I rarely have that feeling. I think people always say like, I'm always kind of at edge or like, I don't know, like you know, anything can happen. I was so confident going in that game because it doesn't get any worse than your coach making a mistake, that type of mistake. Players kind of have your back and then they end up performing. I think it, at that point, it showed them that I, I think you always question how good you are. You don't know how good you are yeah. sometimes until you get into that moment. Yeah. And after that game, I could see the confidence in them. They were like, oh, man, we really are really good. Yeah. Like, there's no chance we're going to lose it. And just they had the confidence. And I, I just remember feeling that uh, peacefulness. And at that point, too, when I've kind of tried to carry the, you know, the haze in the barn. You know, yeah. you, you've done all the work that you can. There's... Think you're always going to have moments of anxiety and anxiousness, but there's not much you can do at yeah. that point, yeah. right? So I just remember this peaceful, peaceful feeling, and um, you know, we went out and played one of our best games that we played to, to no to no surprise. Yeah, yeah. No, that's. Are you uh, are you a superstitious guy? Are you? Uh, you don't have to tell me what it is, but yeah, I can't. I can't. <laughs> um, a little bit, yeah, yeah. I get, yeah. I think it goes I, back to my baseball days, sitting sitting in center field. You got to think of something. Yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. A, I'm a little superstitious yeah. at times. Yeah. Me too, me too. Unfortunately, it kind of, I'm superstitious about superstitions. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, you know, it can get yes. into your brain big yes, time. No so, doubt. Um, so y- you win that gold medal, um, and you're at the top of the world. I mean, you're the best team in the world, and you know, obviously, you take some time off and. Um, pro- probably get right back to it looking at the 2016 games and um, you do the 26 you're at the 2016 games and this is something that I had emailed you earlier and yeah um, you know some people don't know that you had obviously an unbelievable tragedy happened in yeah. 2016 uh, your brother had passed away yeah. and um, you know I think it was in August 3rd it was August 3rd yeah. phone call yeah. and um you know, obviously, I have two brothers. Yeah. You know, so yeah, you know yeah. it's it's really tough to yeah. even talk about it. Um, but now you're in the Olympics, or you're at the Olympics, yeah. and you're about to start this tournament, and you have this family tragedy. Um, you flew home, I believe. You I went did. home. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about that yeah. experience? Uh, God, I mean, I think about it daily, um, and I still get emotional. I think that's going to, uh, scars going to last, going to be there for forever. Uh, it was a tough time. Obviously, you know, I, like you, I have two brothers, um, my two, two older brothers and they were 
they are my my idols yeah. you know people i i looked up to and and my best friends and you know that was that was a, a tough time i'll never forget the phone call from from my parents we had a great training i think we arrived august 1st um we had a great training on august 3rd i get back to the village and I get, uh, I could see my dad had called me a couple times just thinking, okay, dad's just being annoying. Why did he stop, stop calling me? Yeah. Um, and then I finally pick up after we all get back to the, to our rooms and it's pretty late at night and you get those, that news. And it's just, as people will always say, it's just nothing you prepare for. Um, and it's the worst feeling you could ever have. And, uh, I, I walked around the village, you know, at night and early morning to obviously go to sleep. And, um, I remember, uh, telling, I don't even, I think, I think first person I saw was actually Chris Lee coming out of my, my room and mm. he was in, in, in our apartment. I told him and, and then mentioned, to, uh, let's have a team meeting, um, in the middle of the village. I think we were heading to morning practice and told the team and that was not something easy to do. And, uh, you know, it, I did fly home. I was debating, what do I do? You know, do I stay? Do I, do I go and stay at home and screw this? I mean, I, obviously you can imagine the the thoughts going through your mind. I mean, partly it's like, who cares about the Olympics? I mean, yeah, yeah. um, I would trade everything to have my, my brother back. Of course. Uh, and you know, I spent, 24 hours kind of thinking about it. I'm thankful that for the United States Olympic committee and, and allowing me and, um, flying me back home. So I, I felt like I needed to be back with my family, um, with his family for two or three days. I am again, I take this back to 2012, your coach, your head coach is gone. And I couldn't do it without my staff. Mm. You know, I, I have two head coaches as assistant coaches. I mean, I have Chris Oding yeah. and Dan Clad as my my assistant coaches. Are yeah. you kidding me? I mean, I'm just I'm so lucky to yeah. be able to have these guys. So I felt totally fine that they they can handle handle it. And then, you know, coming back, um, people always ask me how you get through it, and I tell them a few things. One, <clears throat> we didn't talk about it a ton as a team. You know. Uh, I, I used the media. I had some media sessions, and that was kind of like my therapy mm-hmm. more than anything. It's like literally sitting, talking to a microphone yeah. and a recorder. And then I, I just kept thinking about the team. Uh, when you, again, going back to relationships, when you build this certain amount of love and tr- trust and respect for the people that you're with, and you realize how much they've I don't like to use the word sacrifice because that's not a good word, not sacrificing anything, but you, you realize how much time and effort they've put in to yeah. get to this point. Yeah. I just kept saying to myself, how can I, I, I can't screw this up. Like this would be extremely selfish of me to let my family's tragedy and albeit I was struggling big time, but I cannot let that affect um, the performance of, of this group. And as the leader uh, as you were saying earlier, it starts with me. And mm. so my attitude, my enthusiasm, uh, my energy, my positivity, I got to kind of keep myself in, in check. And, and those thoughts help me stick through it, along with the support of my staff. Um, the support of the, the team was just 
amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and their support and love. And the amount of messages I was getting, I mean, I still have uh, I, the amount of, I don't know how people found my address, but the amount of cards I got wow. delivered to my house. Um, so when you got back to the Olymp- from the Olympics, yeah, oh uh, my goodness, it, that's amazing. It, I still have it right by my bed. Um, I'm getting emotional thinking no. about it. But, but you know, you, you get back and, you, and, you, and I, my wife was telling me, and she actually surprised me on the last day. Um, my wife's telling me like how many cards are coming in and stuff like that. And it's just, when you feel that love, it, it, it doesn't make it necessarily any, it doesn't take the pain away, but it does make it a little easier yeah. to kind of get through the, the days. Yeah. Uh, but I can't just say enough about the team and how supportive they were and how much they really took this whole thing over. Um, yeah. not to say I was non-existent, uh, but do you think you were, you know, because we tell players all the time to be sort of, um, in the moment, you know, um, oh, sorry. I'm, I only goes an hour. You tell players to go in the moment or to be in the moment. Do you feel like being on the deck helped you? Like, was that, it just became like almost like a wall around everything and just you were with for them you were there for them for the girls like you were saying even though they all understood you know they they're adults they understand everything that's going on yeah yeah it's not like i mean i I still thought about my brother a ton yeah um even in the middle of games but it's it it's also not like i was constantly thinking blake 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 you know my brother's name like throughout the game It, it when you get put back in that environment uh, it's something you've done. I've done for a long time, right? Yeah. So, in some ways, it's easy, and that doesn't mean I don't love my brother, of course, any any less. But it it's easy easier to just coach and do what you've always done. Yeah, yeah. The hard times, uh, and I'll never forget. I mean, Dan Clatt lost his brother. People people don't people oh. don't know that. So. Um, you know, I'll never forget Dan telling me you know, it's, it's going to be much harder when you leave. Yeah. You know, when you're when you're all alone. Yeah, those are the tough times. Yeah. Like it was, yeah, it was tough when I was over there. Um, but the year afterwards, you know, being at home and like letting it all soak in, actually, that's a little bit more more yeah. more difficult. Then yeah. this is a great thing about being a part of a team. It's like you're a family. You yeah. know, and you, especially if you spend a lot of time and you've been through a lot together. Uh, it's great to have that support, but yeah. it's tougher when you're, when you're by yourself. Yeah. And I could imagine, I mean, I just, just by getting to know you, I, I, I could imagine how close you guys were, you know, cause I know how close yeah. I am with my brothers and yeah. it's like playing sports and all these different things. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, you know, I, I'm sorry to bring that up, you know, and I, cause I know it's difficult still. Um, but it's something that I think. You know, I, I, I've been interested in, in knowing because like I told you off off the recording was I I knew I've read about your brother. Yeah. You know, and this was outside of water polo circles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, big investor and uh, yeah. all you know, a, a lot of accomplishments. And um, so it, it was something that I, I had been I had read about outside of like I said, outside of the water polo world. So um you know, and, and you, you get through the Olympics or you're going through the Olympics, those, 
game in, game out, and then you're at the final game. Um, you're going for back-to-back gold medal. I mean, was there anything that you remember from that specific game that, um, because I remember, I mean, I saw the picture and the video of all the girls putting the gold medal around your neck and yeah. just kind of showing you the family and yeah. that you were all part of the family and, you know, you have any thoughts about what was going through your head at that time? Um, well, it was great to watch him play. I mean, we, we, similar to how we played all, all, all games, I mean, we were just on fire from the beginning. Uh, I think in that Olympics, just still in a crazy stat. I think we were only losing but um, for 44 seconds over the course of the entire <laughs> oh Olympic gosh. Games. You held the lead in every game except for 45? Yeah, except oh for 40, 44 seconds in the Jeez. semi against Hungary. And the, the game against Italy in the final was no different. I mean, we were up comfortably. Um, yeah, a couple things I remember. I just, I just remember us clicking. I mean, we were just... In the beginning, we were okay, and then we just, we just rolled and... Uh, um, I'll never forget, you know, getting an opportunity to kind of get everyone in the game. Um, although everyone's really good, so yeah. it's not as, <laughs> as big of a deal. Uh, getting a chance to get Sammy Hill. You know, one of my regrets was I never got a, got a chance to get Tamua Anai, who was the backup goalie to Betsy Armstrong in 2012. Mm. I never got a chance to get her in the water. Um, that's a regret of mine. So getting um, Sammy ironically her cousin, in, in the water in that final game. I remember looking back at, at Clat and Clat's urging me to get her in the water. It's like we're up by seven, I think, with like two minutes left. And, you know, as a coach, I'm like still, yeah. I don't think the game's over. Yeah. Like, no, they could score a five-pointer here. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like the five-pointer. Yeah. And then um, and I remember him looking at me like, dude, come on. You got to be joking. Yeah. As we subbed Sammy in and, and she got a block. And I'll never forget the energy from the bench when she blocked the ball and just the excitement. And that's kind of when I first knew that, okay, we were going to, yeah, we were going back to back. Yeah. Certainly after the game, I'll never forget uh, getting a hug from my wife who would come to surprise me at, at the Olympics. And then, yeah, when they put the medals around my neck, I mean, uh, I love it and I don't like it. You know, to me, it's kind of singling me out, which I don't, I don't like. Um, there's a lot of staff members on our team that, that do a lot for for our group. Um, at the same time, just again, it shows the love and that and respect they have for me. And I, yeah. as a coach, you know, there's nothing greater. greater I mean, that, that picture is like iconic. Yeah. You know, what I mean, yeah. that picture Special. will be up on a wall somewhere for ever and ever and ever. Yeah. So. I mean, I don't. I'm not even a coach in that situation, but yeah. even I feel a little bit of emotion because there's just nothing like sharing, yeah. hitting a goal with players like that. There's nothing like it in the world. You know, you can't can't duplicate it. You can't fake it. You can't nothing. And you, it doesn't hit you until later on, really, what you've yeah. accomplished. But at that moment, it, that was probably one of the first times in your life where it hit you right then and there. I, I would guess. Yeah, you just don't you don't see it. You don't. You're so caught up in getting the team prepared, and yeah. um, so you don't feel those things until until the the very end. But it, it goes, and I, of course, I get a little emotional about my brother. But then I you start to get emotional just about what the team means. And I yeah. I say to people all the time that one of the greatest things about this whole Olympic journey is just to feel so passionate 
you take for granted how important it is. I don't care what you do, but to feel passionate about something that you're doing and about the people that you're doing it with, so passionate that it brings you to tears. Yeah. There's nothing greater than that. To feel that is is the best feeling in the world. It's greater than winning. It's greater than the feeling of, of winning. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, when the Olympics happen, the Olympics come and go, honestly, like the year after, what you're missing most are those relationships and that feeling of purpose and that passion mm-hmm. um, and that connection that you've developed. That's that's the greatest thing about this process. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I, I'm so envious of that, you know, that feeling, I mean, it just must be amazing. You, you've done it at the national championship level in college. You've done it at the Olympic level. We have so many different championships that you've probably won internationally. Um, but the Olympic Games are just everyone dreams yeah, of the Olympic Games. The There's no, yeah. no yeah. doubt about that. So, yeah. um, so I know you don't have a ton of time, and I mean, I've taken a lot of your time already. But I, I wanted to um, ask you a couple more questions yeah. if I could. Um, if there was something that you could change um, in water polo, you know what? What would that be? We've got rule changes. We got ball color changes. We got course changes. We got we got all these different things. Um, but you have to have a different perspective because you're traveling the world, watching the sport change. Yeah. You know, from border to border. Um, what is something that you would change if you could here in the U.S.? Well, it's not the rules, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of talk about the rules, and the rule changes, I think, are positive. But um, at the end of the day, that's the least of our, our worries. I, I think the biggest thing for me, I just can't stand when ego and power get in the way of making this sport great. And one of what could be one of and what has to be one of the strengths of our sport. We're a small niche sport. That's the reality. And just like a small corporation or business or small country, in order to be successful, um, you need to rely on people at the top, specifically coaches and leaders, other leaders, administrators, what, what have you. You need to rely on those people working together to make the sport the best and unfortunately now is it awful no I don't think so it's awful certainly in certain parts and it's great in other parts Mm -hmm. but I think we just shoot ourselves in the foot a ton and you know a lot of it is self is about self preservation about ego power I mean, a lot of things that kind of actually ruin our world at times and yeah. cause wars. Yeah. Um, Game of Thrones, basically. <laughs> Game of Thrones. I've watched the episode. Excuse me, but uh, <laughs> but but that's that's killing our sport. I just think our sport is we're we're small. We're always going to be small. So if we're going to be small, we got to be tough. We got to be smart, and we got to work together. Yeah. And we got there's a lot of. A lot of backstabbing that happens in our in our sport that yeah. I wish we could I wish we could get rid of, and I think it's easier said than done, obviously. Yeah. But those, you know, we need to use that 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 small feeling and that the reality again, this, the smallness of our sport to our advantage to come to get even a little tighter. That yeah. these bigger sports can't really 
aren't going to be able to able to do yeah. and I just don't see that happening in, a, in our sport yeah I mean I def I, I've talked to uh, other coaches and I've told them I think we're the only sport that is a cannibal sport we eat we each do. other we do um you know one thing that I would love to you know maybe you've thought of this one thing that I think we could do to continue to grow it is you know, USA Swimming does a good job of protecting clubs in specific areas, and they won't let you start another club down the street. So mm-hmm. Irvine Nova Aquatics owns Irvine. You, you can't basically go in there. Rose Bowl owns that area, you know. Um, water polo, it's like we're so desperate for growth that anybody can start a program regardless of what it does for the – how it affects the community or the program that's already in there. So right. it's kind of like it's tough – um, when you're in that situation, you got clubs all over. I mean, especially here in Orange County, you know, we're not getting more 12 and under girls playing. We're not getting 10 and under girls playing. They're just going from program to program. You know, and I think that's that's really unfortunate you know, as opposed to, you know, and I know this is probably above, you know, not something that you're dealing with on a daily basis. But, you know, just the smallest thing like 10 and under girls being on the same weekend as 10 and under co-ed like. Now the girls have to choose. Do I play co-ed or do I play girls? Girls, you know, and it's like that. So there was only one team from Orange County that entered jail quals. One, 10 and under girls team. One. One. You know, it's like, wow, like that's what we're, that's what we're doing. You know, it's kind of, and that's us eating ourselves, you know, because we want to win. We want to make money. We want a big club, you know? So um, I think that's, and I've heard that from what's, what's interesting is I've heard that from the coaches that are up in the upper echelon more yeah. of like the backstabbing because I think they're, yeah. they're viewing it from like 10,000 feet. Like, Hey, let's, let's all try to work together. Yeah. You know, um, the people who are maybe, um, have the smaller club like myself, you know, like we see all this stuff happening in real time sometimes. So, yeah. um, what, uh, I'm going to go to another question. Who have been your biggest influences or mentors, uh, in coaching? You mentioned a couple earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, I've learned, I mentioned all those UCLA coaches um, outside of our sport. Uh, I mentioned my little league and basketball yeah, coach, yeah. right? Ken Pierce, Kevin Perry, who is my swim coach. Um, I th- I think about even just when I was growing up, up in the Bay Area, like, I love Bill Walsh, who was mm. coaching the San Francisco 49ers. I was enamored with Bill Walsh, yeah. and he was coaching Joe Montana and Jerry Rice and those guys in that dynasty back then, and... Like I remember just listening to every word and how he did things. I think that's kind of where my some of my inspiration came from as well. And then, um, you know, one one of the greatest coaches in our sports history. I was fortunate to play for Guy Baker um, and to coach with with Guy and to work with with Guy. And you know, he he had a large impact on on me. He taught me. I mean, a couple of things that he taught me. I mean, he, he took a, a UCLA program back in 1991 that had just been dropped from existence. Yeah. People forget that. I mean, it wasn't – and he took a salary that was similar to mine as an assistant coach to, to – and he brought that program back from – you know, they hadn't won a championship in, since 1972. Wow. And I think I was his first recruit along with 12 other people. And he helped – bring that program back to really kind of where it is now. Mm. And Adam's doing a great job there. And, uh, so guy taught me, you know, never to give up. I mean, he is a competitive, tough, tough dude who is just a grinder. Um, and I learned that attitude and I think that's why we got along so well too, is, 
both kind of had the same attitude. And he's also a great planner and visionary. And I think, you know, he did that. I, I get a lot of props for the success that we've had, obviously winning the last two gold medals. But, you know, Guy took that program when it became an Olympic sport. And, yeah, they didn't win a gold. But, you know what? To win silver medal is yeah. still pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, and to win a bronze medal is still pretty damn good. And I think people forget, like, you know, it's it's just funny. We as – and this is part of our country, right? We love winners. Yeah. And we love the people who win the, the gold. But he he built that program, you know, from nothing to kind of what it became. And yeah. that, having that first success in 2000 and – um. And he's just been always been a great mentor for for me, and is a big reason why I'm doing this job. I mean, yeah. I really have just kind of followed his footsteps yeah. at UCLA, and then doing doing this. Um, so I'm I'm fortunate to have him in 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 my life. Yeah, I know that we uh, as as a community, USA Water Polo has inducted him into the Hall of Fame recently. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. Um, do you think he doesn't get enough credit? Then you know, do you think he deserves a lot more credit? Like he should be named with the the great, you know, all the great coaches. I yeah, think. he he should be. You know, guys, um, he's he's a tough guy. I mean, yeah. he's a tough dude. And I think and and um, his competitiveness sometimes got the best of him. Mm-hmm. But my competitiveness got the best of me too. Yeah. And I, um, I think people, you know, I think people uh, were rubbed the wrong way with him yeah. at times. Um, but he was always in it for the right reasons, and he has uh, – he's, again, a great visionary. He's a great man. He always cared about his, his athletes, and he's – there's no question he doesn't get the credit that yeah. he deserves. Yeah. And, you know, I think a large part of me feels bad because um, – you know, our team, not just me, but our team gets, even for the athletes that were a part of those teams in 2000, 2004, mm-hmm. and 2008, those were some pretty damn good teams yeah. that did some great things and that won world championships and won medals. I yeah. mean, um, they, I wish they were celebrated as much as, as much as we're, we're celebrated. Yeah. Well, I hope, I hope they, they get that chance now that we're kind of throwing it out there yeah. too. Um, my last question, um, for you would be what advice would you give to a young coach? What would, and, and let me r- say it a different way. What would you tell yourself if he was sitting right there? You know, what would be some of the things that you could, would talk to yourself about? Um, I would say a couple things. One, I would say learn as much as you can be open to all, be open to all ways of doing things. I think we've bec- we're becoming more and more. I think I mentioned this to my team in this social media area era. <laughs> we love to just to like jump on a certain opinion and just go, you know, we see something, we tweet a uh, tweet. I like that. I'm going to retweet that. That's what I what I believe in. We need to become more open minded as a as everyone. Yeah. Um, and as a coach, I think it's important to, you may have your philosophy in the ways you do it, uh, but it's important that you're open to different styles and especially early on in your career and you take what you like and what you don't like, but that's a fluid process. You're not just 
um, set with with a certain way of, of doing things, just kind of staying open-minded through the process. And then I think you though you have to know what you believe in, like what are your values, like what 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 are the important things in 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 your life, and clearly you write those down and yeah. define those. Um, you know whether it's um, this open-mindedness or humility, like th- there needs to be some certain values and pillars that you will always go back to, like. And that way, those are the things that kind of keep you on track to yeah. how you want to be as as a person, how you want to be as a coach. And, you know, I, I just, again, like, and I, I'll say this too, maybe the last thing is like, I tell people all the time, come watch our practice. You know, our practices are open. Yeah. Like, go watch other coaches coach and learn from people as many people as as you can i wish i could go back and i wish and it's easier said than done because your everyone's lives are busy but i wish i spent more time getting to know what other how other coaches coached and that way i could take more from i don't have to take everything but i could take more from them and and develop a little bit more robust way of way of doing things yeah yeah that's really good advice and i'm hearing that more and more, but you know, Dayon said the same thing. You know, okay, come to a practice; it's open. Yeah. Um, if and so- I say that, yeah. I don't, it, no, I, I'm serious. I, I say that not to watch me, coach. Yeah. I also say that you watch the best athletes in the world, coach. Yeah. I learn daily from my athletes what they do in the water. I see something, I go, "Oh, Rachel Fatal just did that." I, I, God, that was really good. I want to try to use that in yeah. the next next drill that, that we do or tomorrow in, in practice. So don't don't just come watch me. I mean, watch the the athletes, the greatest athletes in the world, you know, train. I think they can learn a lot from that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, you know, I know you're on social media. Um, unfortunately, not promoting the Lakers because you're a Bay Area guy. <laughs> that's, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> God, they're um, a disaster. By yeah, the way. we are. Okay, we are. We are but we're going to come back. We're going to come back. Um, but uh, how would you know? Uh, how could someone get in touch with you? Tw- Twitter is that a good medium for you? Yeah, Twitter's great. I'm sure you people could find my my email address. Although I get inundated with email. Um, yeah. Uh, but people are welcome to email me. Twitter's probably the best. I guess I'm on Instagram a little bit. I I have a Facebook account, although I never go to it. So do not message me on yeah, facebook yeah. um but twitter's a good good place i think yeah. cool uh, well i'll put the, the the your twitter handle in the show notes um yeah. after i put the podcast up um i i'm honestly i'm i'm honored that you uh came over here um and took the time i know you have a really busy schedule you guys are leaving for hungry you said yeah, here yeah. in a couple of days um so i just really i admire you so much you're you know, the best coach in our country, you know, and I could very confidently say that. So I, I thank you very much for being here and, and everything that you've said and shared with us. Oh, I appreciate the time and keep up the good work here. I think we all love what, what you're doing here to help grow our sport and help learn more and more, um, from all these different people that have been on your show. So let's, let's keep this thing yeah, going for sure. I appreciate that. And I'm going to hold you to the round table, 1995, 1995, baby, best team ever. <laughs> all right. <laughs>